Hello, we're listening to Mighty Touch Live right now. Stock market is setting record highs right now and is far higher than anywhere when Donald Trump was in office. So I want to say that. And you have America's GDP growth, the fastest of all G7 nations. America's economy growing faster than China. America's inflation, the lowest of all G7 nations. And in terms of an economic miracle taking place in 2023 with the same BS red wave style narratives of doom and gloom, we were heading into a recession. It's all over. Biden is the worst. That was the 2023 narrative. That didn't happen. So, media, are you going to cover now what's happening? That there was an economic miracle and things were turned around? You know what, Jordy? Frankly, 2024, legacy media, it doesn't matter. You're making yourself irrelevant. Mm-hmm. And that's why Midas Touch, an independent media that is doing this type of work, is soaring because y'all just aren't covering the data and what do we talk about here it's just cover the data versus media your arbitrary narrative feelings in order to try to create a horse race between a freaking insurrectionist trader <laughs> and a uh, able compassionate intelligent statesman and president <laughs> each day that legacy media chooses a narrative over data, the Midas Touch Network and the Pro-Democracy Coalition continues to grow. So Legacy Media, you, you could do what you're going to do. You could inform, you know, your own opinion. Like care, abortion and contraception, strengthen privacy protections for patients and doctors, defended in court women's ability to access medication abortion, right, as MAGA Republicans across the country are trying to and already have taken away women's reproductive freedom. Mm-hmm. President Biden is fighting to make sure women can control their own bodies in 2024. President Biden goes on to say, made America safer from gun violence, created the first ever White House Office of Gun Violence Protection in American history, funded an additional 14,000 school-based mental health professionals, announced new executive actions to keep guns out of dangerous hands and dangerous weapons off our streets, made higher education more affordable, brought the total student debt cancellation to $132 billion for 3.6 million Americans through various actions, launched the most affordable repayment plan ever, the SAVE plan, helped over 700,000 people access public service loan forgiveness, invested $7 billion in HBCUs, and President Biden doesn't say this here because he's humble. This, as it was the MAGA Republicans, and Federalist Society members across the country who tried to stop student loan debt relief from ever occurring, challenging it in every which way, getting the initial plan by Biden for targeted targeted loan forgiveness, targeted loan forgiveness for people under a a certain economic wealth uh, amount. When Republicans block that from happening, Biden still managed to do what I just said. It goes on to say, strengthen democracy at home and abroad. And President Biden stood up for our allies and partners in Israel, Ukraine, and across the globe and strengthened our alliances around the world, spoke out against discrimination, racism, anti-LGBTQI plus hate, pushed for stronger 
voting rights and then confirmed 166 life tenured federal judges and a record-breaking number of black, Hispanic, and AANHPI judges as well. And uh, think about those accomplishments too. Those accomplishments to me benefit the American people. It wasn't, oh, I did a tax cut for billionaires and decamillionaires so that you can completely write off your yacht and your private jet purchase. Uh, so th that's how I'm, uh, I'm helping you, right? This isn't, I stopped the woke agenda. I, I did something about bathrooms and, and, and green M&Ms or, or, or I, I, I went after Bad Disney and private books. corporations because they want to have diverse workforces. No, I mean, these are things that have benefited the American people. And I would venture to say in some way, every single American's life has been made better by one of the things that I've just read on this list in some form or fashion. They didn't have their rights pulled away. I know that Fox and all the right-wing media wants to have this fear and doom. And look, you, look from their perspective, when you have a president like Biden as effective as this, all you have if you're Fox and, and, and you want to hoist up an authoritarian is just create some fake world that, that doesn't exist. And just say it so many times that your viewers feel like crap. Because if you just keep speaking to people who watch you and tell them that they're crap and that their world sucks and that America's bad, and you repeat it over and over and over again to people who think they're watching the news and they're watching the real fascist authoritarian propaganda or paradox media from Australia because it's ruling our freaking country. That's insane. That's the way propaganda works right now, Jerry. And look, here's one for us. We're coming out with a bang.
to a president who accepts a bribe in exchange for directing a lucrative government contract to the payer, a president who instructs the FBI director to plant incriminating evidence on a political enemy, a president who orders the National Guard to murder his most prominent critics, or a president who sells nuclear secrets to a foreign adversary. Because in each of these scenarios, the president could assert that he was simply executing the laws or communicating with the Department of Justice or discharging his powers as commander in chief or engaging in foreign diplomacy. And by the way, I don't think those examples that special counsel Jack Smith gave there were provided just because. Everything special counsel Jack Smith does is specific and deliberate, and I think he is citing things that are actually part of an ongoing investigation or things clearly within the realm of what Donald Trump is capable of doing and what Donald Trump wants to do, what Trump's intent is to why he stole the nuclear records after he left, why he stole the classified information why he, he held the willful retention of national defense information, why he did what he did on January 6th, how he wants to operate the FBI, how he wants to operate the DOJ. That's why Special Counsel Jack Smith is making these examples here, and not just for this case, but for the future, that if Trump ever tries to claim power or anybody in the future claims things like this, in no uncertain terms, Jack Smith is saying that Donald Trump is asking to be a dictator. He sees Circuit Court of Appeals, we can boil what Trump is asking you to do as saying, please allow me, rubber stamp me to be a dictator. And then eventually when this goes before the Supreme Court, Supreme Court, rubber stamp me as the dictator. Here's what Jack Smith also put in one of the most powerful uh, opening lines, I thought, of, of any brief I've ever read, period. So what Jack Smith writes in the introduction to his answering brief. For the first time in our nation's history, a grand jury has charged a former president 
with committing crimes while in office to overturn an election that he lost. In response, the defendant claims that to protect the institution of the presidency, he must be cloaked with absolute immunity from criminal prosecution unless the House impeached and the Senate convicted him for the same conduct. He is wrong. Separation of power principles, constitutional text, history, and precedent all make clear that a former president may be prosecuted for criminal acts he committed while in office, including, most critically here, illegal acts to remain in power despite losing an election. Now, when I read that from the outset, Jordy, I got chills because the monumental impact of this case is at the very core of our survival as a democracy. And Jack Smith is putting that front and center. What was your reaction, Jordy, as not a kind of a, a, a lawyer like me who studies, you know, this type of stuff, but as an American who cares about democracy, your your opinion here is equally as important as as my legal dissection. I was just happy to see it laid out so clearly and uh, for lack of a better term, in, in layman's terms about what exactly is going on here. I think it explains in depth what Jack Smith is looking at. I think it explains very clearly and articulately to the American people exactly where Trump is wrong. He even says it in that introduction. He is wrong. I thought that was a very powerful statement by him to just come out and say that. And just to see what precedent now this can set to just try it and, and protect the most sacred thing, our, our Constitution, Ben, and our democracy at the heart of it. And so I'm just happy Jack Smith came out swinging there. And it was it was powerful. And I loved I loved your breakdown when we had our chat. And what you just explained was exactly what we had talked about. So, yeah. You know, there's another argument that Jack Smith didn't put in his answering brief, because I think Jack Smith wanted to go directly to the core issue, mm -hmm. not not make this about technicalities, but just say, we want you to rule immediately that Trump does not have immunity. We don't want to even bring this issue back. Make the ruling now, D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. And that's why Jack Smith didn't make this jurisdictional argument that I want to talk about. This group called American Oversight, this nonprofit represented by one of the most renowned law firms in America, a firm called Arnold and Porter, um, filed this brief basically saying that based on a Supreme Court case from 1989 called Midland Asphalt, written by a right-wing, now deceased uh, jurist by the name of Justice Scalia, um, that there is no jurisdiction for the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals even here right now, so that the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals should send this back immediately for a trial before the district court. That's what's called a um, the, the posture with which this brief was submitted to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals by this outside group called American Oversight. It's called an amicus brief, which is a, means a friend of the court brief, where third parties in high-profile cases can submit these arguments. It doesn't mean that the D.C. Circuit has to listen to it. You could, you watching or listening, you could submit amicus briefs to courts, um, and then it's up to the court to accept it. But it, 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 it's merely could be persuasive on courts if they find the argument interesting. But I found it interesting. So I want to talk more about that. And then I want to talk finally about what Trump's arguing about uh, the Insurrection Act that he claims he wanted to invoke, but Twitter stopped him from invoking it. And why it is that Donald Trump is just creating what's, what's more what's called 404B evidence against him. 
all this stuff is admissible, not to prove his character and propensity to engage in certain behaviors, but to show his state of mind, his intent, his uh, common plan and scheme, his notice. And, and this is the type of stuff that will go before the D.C. jury. And also, again, it should, regardless of your political party affiliation, I mean, the fact that Donald Trump is saying that there was no insurrection, but now he's saying he wants to invoke the insurrection, the insurrection act, like like some just some basic stuff, or like when Donald Trump's lawyer Alina Hobbs says, "We want the Supreme Court to rule on the issue of Where absolute someone presidential had the guts immunity," to... but then when they file with the Supreme Court, we don't want you to hear the issue of absolute president. immunity, right? It's just like uh, such whiny losers. Anyway, we'll talk about that more. Let's take our last quick break of the day. Oh, no. Here's the thing. Everyone knows how annoying cheap razors are. ING dot com slash M-E-I-D-A-S and use code Midas. That's HensonShaving.com slash Midas. I mean, look at the shave, folks. I mean, it speaks for itself. 2024, let's go. A shout out, Henson Razor. Especially when you did that read. I know you shaved just before it, and your face, it, it looks great, man. It looks right great. Be, right before I, 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 I did <laughs> it. So, uh, anyway, thank you, Henson. Yeah, check it out. I really enjoy it. Really all the links, enjoy by the way, for all our pro democracy sponsors, helps the show, helps you guys right, just right, get right. y'all great discounts. They're in the link and the description right, right. site. And represented by a top law firm in, in, in America called Arnold and Porter. They're basically arguing that what Donald Trump has done in order to appeal the district court's denial of Trump's motion to dismiss the indictment on the grounds of absolute presidential immunity is what's called an interlocutory appeal of a collateral order. So just to break it down one more step, Jack Smith uh, goes before a grand jury. The grand jury in D.C. votes to indict. The indictment gets unsealed in August. There's now a criminal indictment against Donald Trump. Donald Trump waits many, many months, files a motion to dismiss that indictment that the grand jury voted to indict Donald Trump on. And Donald Trump says, even if you accept as true all of these allegations, I'm entitled to absolute presidential immunity. The district court judge, Tanya Chutkin, says, what are you talking about? No, former presidents don't have absolute presidential immunity. Then Trump seeks to appeal that right away to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. Normally, you have to wait until there's a final judgment in a criminal case that would be a conviction, and then um, you could appeal the conviction by saying, look at all of these mistakes that were made throughout the case itself, and then you appeal the final judgment, but you would say, well, the judge should have granted a motion to dismiss uh, when I brought up the issue of absolute presidential immunity, but you make that at the end of the case once there's a conviction. An interlocutory appeal is in a rare instance where there's what's called a collateral order, a special type of order that's these very unique circumstances where 
if the court, uh, if you don't get the right relief, um, it could basically have you go through this entire trial where getting the relief could dispose of this entire case, you know, early on. So it's very rare examples that satisfy what constitutes a collateral <clears throat> order that you could take on an interlocutory appeal. And, and in some, what American oversight, what this organization argued is, is that Justice Scalia uh, is now deceased, but was a strict textualist, a so-called or self-proclaimed strict textualist conservative judge in this 1989 decision called uh, Midland Asphalt said that in these criminal cases, you could only take uh, interlocutory appeals on things that could be deemed collateral orders if there is some strict textualist uh, understanding that you're entitled to that relief. So does the Constitution say the words absolute presidential immunity, or is there some statute that says absolute presidential immunity, you get an interlocutory appeal? And absent a law statute that says it, absent it saying absolute presidential immunity in the Constitution, there should not be this right to an immediate appeal. In other words, Trump should have to wait until after there's a conviction for the appeal to first take place. Donald Trump claims that this concept of absolute presidential immunity in criminal cases is rooted in the impeachment judgment clause. But as American Oversight points out, it says nothing about absolute presidential immunity. And Donald Trump has some contorted uh, adverse uh, inference that you're supposed to take from this impeachment judgment clause. And that, that makes no sense at all. But those words don't appear from a strict textualist perspective. So DC Circuit just reject that you should say that you don't even have the right to hear it, send it back for trial immediately. I thought that was a very interesting argument. And from a strict textualist approach, it seems to make a ton of sense. Why didn't Jack Smith make that argument? I, I don't think Jack Smith wants to do this on jurisdiction. I think Jack Smith wants to do it now. I think Jack Smith feels confident that the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals is going to move swiftly on the issue of absolute presidential immunity and deny Donald Trump's appeal. I think Jack Smith's also confident that Trump's conception here is so dangerous, so disastrous to our democracy, that even this right-wing Supreme Court with three justices appointed by Trump, three others who are right-wing justices, three were appointed by Democratic administrations, the 6-3 right-wing court. I think Jack Smith feels confident that Trump's arguments are so frivolous that Trump is going to lose before the Supreme Court. That's why Jack Smith didn't make that jurisdictional argument. And there's a lot of reporting, too, that Donald Trump is very worried about the Supreme Court, not just in the context here on the absolute presidential immunity appeal, but also on the issue of disqualification. You know, you have the Supreme Court, which has talked about states' rights. And if you look at the disqualification decisions reached by the Secretary of State of Maine, by the Colorado Supreme Court, those are states applying the plain language, strict textualist states, applying strict text of the 14th Amendment, Section 3. And then you got people like the great Judge Luddig, you know, former most prominent conservative judge out there since retired. You know, and, and, and he was a feeder for all of these right-wing judges who clerked for the right-wing Supreme Court justices now because that's what a conservative position, the conservative position here is 14th Amendment Section 3 disqualification applies to Donald Trump and a strict textualist interpretation 
um, of the Constitution would say that Donald Trump is not entitled to absolute presidential immunity. So under any conception, I think Trump realizes that his MAGA arguments are just authoritarian. They're, they're, they, they bear no resemblance to our Constitution and our democracy, and he's going to lose uh, before the Supreme Court there. So, so Trump's out there posting this. There's this right-wing, far right-wing account called uh, D.C. Drano. Uh, and, and, and Drano, for those who don't know that, that's like a cat turd. Like this is like a, a true like MAGA influencer. This is who the MAGAs look to for you know thoughts, advice, news, and updates. So 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 here's what Drano uh, wrote. Drano, Drano wrote when Twitter deleted Trump's public request for people to go home on January 6th, only five minutes after he posted it, it seemed very strange. Wouldn't they, I guess referring to Twitter, wouldn't they want peace? Were they trying to frame him for their narrative? But what if something else was at play? What if they were trying to limit his ability to activate the Insurrection Act? And then he goes on to make this ridiculous post about how under the Insurrection Act, it he believes that it requires you to like first make a claim to disperse and then if you don't disperse, then only then can you uh, invoke the Insurrection Act. And according to D.C. Drano, Trump wasn't able to tell the insurrectionists to disperse and that that's why it, it, it happened this way. Mm -hmm. This is D.C. DC Drano. He goes, the first prerequisite for evoking the IA is to first call for disorderly citizens to go home. And what did he say in his video? He called for people to go home. Was triggered. Was Twitter trying to thwart Trump's attempt to comply with these requirements? If so, who was orchestrating this? And Trump reposts that, that crazy, that's like crazy stuff. Like that's like the rant, that's pure rantings and ravings of police. First off, there is no prerequisite to the Insurrection Act that you have to uh, tell people to go home on Twitter or like tell people to go home <laughs> in general. You must like, first announce it on Twitter. You must first announce, but even just this idea, dispel crowd, Henceforth, disperse. Like, okay, that's not part of the Insurrection Act in general, even outside of any concept by Twitter. But here's the thing. This was actually what the testimony was by the Oath Keepers, by Stuart Rhodes. So Stuart Rhodes, Stuart Rhodes, the, the leader who was convicted of, of the Oath Keepers, who was convicted for seditious conspiracy, his whole thing was, he was waiting for Donald Trump to invoke the Insurrection Act. They had all their weapons ready to go. And the moment Trump was going to invoke the Insurrection Act, because remember what was trying to happen. Trump was trying to create a situation where he would get counter protesters, then say it was Antifa, then call in the military. But fortunately, none of the counter protesters showed. So it was all just MAGA lunatics and insurrectionists and terrorists who were there on January 6th. So that kind of foiled the whole, you know, their whole plan. So the Insurrection Act was never invoked at all. Um, but the plan was to invoke it so that, uh, you know, look at the testimony. The, 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 this, is, this was the text messages being sent by Stuart Rhodes on January 6th. Either Trump gets off his ass and uses the Insurrection Act mm -hmm. to defeat the Chi-Com puppet um, coup, you were saying, because, because under MAGA Republicans' view, uh, this was a Chinese communist puppet coup. Or we will have to rise up in insurrection rebellion against the Chi-Com puppet Biden. Take your pick. 
So they were waiting for him to do the Insurrection Act thing. So now Trump has aligned himself with seditious conspiracy. So Jack Smith, maybe maybe add that one in a future indictment because Donald Trump, uh, you know, although Jack Smith, I think, is looking just for a narrower path to get to trial. But nonetheless, Trump is now admitting it was an insurrection, which it was because you need the Insurrection Act. There needs to be an insurrection, and then aligning himself with what the Proud Boys said they were waiting for as their main, I mean, the Oath Keepers, um, in their seditious conspiracy uh, defense. But look, as we round it out, as we as we head into 2024, I think Jocelyn Benson, the Secretary of State of Michigan, says it best. As we enter 2024, we must be united in the fight to defend democracy and hold extremism accountable. It's not a partisan fight. It's not even about one person. It's about all of us working together to protect the foundation of who we are as a nation. I'm all in, are you? So I take what uh, Secretary of State Benson says there, and I also just compare it to where we started this episode, like what was going on at Mar-a-Lago, where you have no Melania there, and mm-hmm. you have Donald Trump looking miserable hanging out with this guy um, right here who was the guy, and I did some research on who this person was who Donald Trump is taking photographs with. Um, I think we have a photo of him standing you know, mm-hmm. there next to the guy. Yeah, there, there he is right there. And so this guy who Trump was spending New Year's with, he was the one who, in 1998, threw a party at the Kit Kat Club and he ran a modeling agency, this guy, um, Paolo Zamali or something. Let me get the guy's name. Paolo Zamali. He ran a modeling agency, and Melania was one of his models. Um, and he mm-hmm. threw a party for wealthy men mm-hmm. at the Kit Kat Club in 1998. And that's where Donald Trump was introduced to Melania in 1998. And now this guy, Paolo Zampali, is partying with Trump there. You've got Donald Trump partying it up to no Melania there, but with the man who created the modeling agency that who introduced Melania to Trump Chris at a party in 1998. And here is Trump with his lawyer, Alina, Alina Haba, <laughs> at, at the event in Mar-a-Lago. That's what Trump's lawyer Alina Haba is doing right now. So, folks, can we not be weird in 2024? Can we support our democracy in 2024? Can we fight for normalcy in 2024? Can we reject this MAGA nonsense, wannabe fascist mush? Can we just support our democracy, band together? Can we be welcoming to people who want to leave this MAGA corrosive mush movement and join the pro-democracy movement. Can we put aside right now some of the differences that we may have on policy with people just because they may be quote-unquote conservative or liberal or independent? Can we just please come together, defeat this MAGA mush, and then after 2024, we could have our debates about policy and, and, and implementing things, and we could have some nuanced, intelligent conversations, but 2024, it is existential, but it is time to roll up our sleeves and meet the challenge. Mm-hmm. I am confident we will meet this challenge. Jordy, give you the final one. I love it, Ben. Nice I love you, big bro. 
and I love the Midas Mighty. Let's all get out there. Let's do this. Let's, let's freaking do this, y'all. Before you give the final word, Ooh, I, want to I was about you. to do it. I saw you were about to do it. But as we head into 2024, I do want to remind everybody about our Patreon. We're not going to do an after show today because it's New Year's Day. We want to respect all of your time as well. So no after show today. But, if, but we have lots of after show content on that Patreon. So if you go to P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com slash Midas Make sure you spell Midas Touch correctly. M-E-I-D-A-S-T-O-U-C-H. Patreon.com slash Midas Touch. As we head into 2024 right now, we've said it before, we are not funded by outside investors here at the Midas Touch Network. So the way we build this network is through those pro-democracy sponsors, support our sponsors, great products, those emojis you see here through the YouTube memberships and people buy each other memberships and you, act, you activate those emojis. And then separately through our Patreon page, right. dot com slash Midas Touch. So if you, as we head into 2024 right now, we want giving me a headache listening to that. <sighs> Poor Booberts. Fox host builds down after co-host destroys Hyperdon Live four hours ago. Legal death spiral is here. Insiders crush him, Tima. Stench of a loser. Diaperdon can't handle utter humiliation. Quite. I'm Captain Josh Shepard. I've spent eight years as a military police officer. When I say military camera, police these officer, these things have been on the rise. Moments before we went live, the Secretary of State for Maine issued a decision disqualifying Donald Trump from the 2024 ballot in the state of Maine. The Secretary of State said it was not a decision that she reached lightly by applying the law of the 14th Amendment, Section 3, was the only decision that could be made. We will break down this monumental decision. Meanwhile, the Second Circuit Court of Appeals denied Donald Trump's attempt to stay the E. Jean Carroll case from going to trial next month. Trump is terrified getting hit with a Rudy Giuliani-sized judgment uh -huh. defamation case that starts mid-January. We'll be covering that trial here. The Midas Touch Network. Also, Lauren Boebert has Bieber. ditched her congressional district. Uh -huh. She is leaving Colorado's third congressional district, which is a plus nine Republican district to run in Colorado's fourth seat, which was previously held by Ken Buck, who specifically left Congress because the Republican Party has now turned into the party of Lauren Boeberts and Marjorie Taylor Greens and MAGA weirdos who hate democracy. Now, I think back to the interview we did here on the Midas Touch Network with President Biden in Pueblo 
Colorado a few weeks back where President Biden called out Lauren Boebert at a windmill factory in her own congressional district. In retrospect, how significant was that interview when it also seems to mark an important moment where we've been seeing President Biden's momentum begin? Because I remember all those reports right around that time period. We'll discuss also disgusting Donald Trump smells badly. Trump smells continues to be a national trend. Videos put out on the topic by us here at Midas Touch have garnered millions of views with others sharing their own stories of Donald Trump's putrid over odor over the past few decades. I spoke with former Republican Congress member Adam Kinzinger today since he sparked this important national discussion. Also, with good economic news, right-wing media, they don't know what to do. So they're back to talking about gas stoves <laughs> and why the state of Utah and other right-wing states have more people Googling searches like, why am I gay, <laughs> more than other states. Talk about all of this here on the Midas Touch podcast. I'm Ben Micellis. Joined by Brett and Jordy. Some breaking news, big, important breaking news before we went live. How are you doing, brothers? I'm doing great. I always love when we get big breaking news before we go live. It's one of the benefits of us actually doing the show live, live, as we get to cover everything right up to the minute. And this news out of Maine is an absolute bombshell. Maine becoming the second state here in addition to Colorado, to bar Trump from the ballot. We will get into that soon. It feels like these past 24 hours, Ben has been hurts himself with his uh, Starbucks cup or something. Like that. <laughs> uh, and these past 24 hours have just been wild, a, a crazy news cycle. And I know we probably say that every episode, but from the, the mm -hmm. Boebert news to everything coming out about Trump, to Trump and the E. Jean Carroll case, to the Secretary of State of Maine, to disqualification updates in other states. It is an action-packed episode coming your way where you're going to, we are going to break it all down for you. Jordy, what's new with you tonight? How are you doing? So pumped for the show. I mean, just tons of news to get into, but I just wanted to quickly reflect here. We're at December 28th. The new year is, is getting right around the corner. I, I, I'm so grateful for this community. We are so close to 2 million YouTube subscribers. Let's go. The Midas Mighty is growing. So I just wanted to use this intro real quick just to remind people, because I know we do it at the outro, subscribe to the Midas Touch YouTube channel right now. The goal to hit 2 million by January 7th. See if we can do it. And Jordy, on that note, I'm also going to say, while I got you, not to make two asks right out the gate, but add the Midas Touch podcast anywhere you get audio podcasts. Go to your podcast app, whatever you use, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Google or Overcast. I can name about a dozen others. Go add the Midas Touch podcast to your feed. It really helps. And you'll get episodes like this and Ben's hot takes delivered straight to your phone every single day. Speaking of which, I did a hot take right before we went live on this decision by the Secretary of State of Maine. And before getting into that, though, doesn't it feel like the momentum is shifting? Doesn't it feel like a month ago or 45 days ago, it was all doom and gloom and the world is ending and Magnus can't be stopped. That's what the media prevailing narrative was. And yeah. what did we say here? That's just a media prevailing narrative. That doesn't meet the facts. So what we have to do here is we have to speak loudly and proudly 
about the facts and the data. If the legacy media and old school media are not covering these issues appropriately, guess what? You're going to lose your viewers and listeners to us at the Midas Touch Network. So catch up. I want pro-democracy competition. And I've also noticed some shifting in the coverage. When I turn on some of these media networks right now, it seems that some of the segments look like some of the hot takes that we do. I go, that looks like the hot take that I just did. Or that looks very similar to the way we talk about the issues. are good. Bring it on. The more pro-democracy content, the better. But if you are stuck in your old ways of both sides of things and promoting fascism, we here at the Midas Touch Network are going to put you out of business because democracy is what matters here the most. Let's get into the order by the Secretary of State from Maine. The Secretary of State of Maine, uh, Shauna Bellows, uh, held a hearing December 15th on this issue. A lot of people weren't talking about that here. We've been talking about the various hearings across the country. And so this is not a court decision, right? The Secretary of State of Maine said, I don't need a court decision. Yet. I'm the Secretary of State. 14th Amendment, Section 3 is self-enforcing, and I am duty-bound to make the decision here if Donald Trump is qualified. That is my call to make. And of course, in the future, if the United States Supreme Court or the highest court in the state of Maine wants to overrule me, that's their job. They can do what they want. But I'm presented with a task. And as she said on the last page in her conclusion, I do not reach this conclusion lightly. Democracy is sacred, and the highest court of this state has repeatedly recognized that no right is more precious in a free country than that of having a voice in the election of those who make the laws under which, as good citizens, we must live. I am mindful that no Secretary of State has ever deprived a presidential candidate of ballot access based on Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. I am also mindful, however, that no presidential candidate has ever before engaged in insurrection. The oath I swore to uphold the Constitution comes first above all to my duty under Maine's election laws when presented with this challenge is to ensure that candidates who appear on the primary ballot are qualified for the office they seek. The events of January 6, 2021 were unprecedented and tragic. They were an attack not only upon the Capitol and government officials, but also an attack on the rule of law. The evidence here demonstrates that they occurred at the behest of and with the knowledge and support of the outgoing president. The U.S. Constitution does not tolerate an assault on the foundation of our government. And the challenge the section requires me to act in response. She also goes on to say, however, that given the compressed time frame, section. the novel constitutional questions involved, the importance of this case, and impending ballot preparation deadlines, I will suspend the effect of my decision until the Superior Court rules on any appeal or the time to appeal under Maine's applicable law. So it's temporarily stayed, but she's saying the courts can do what the courts do. I'm the Secretary of State. Here's the decision that I have to make. She also says on page 23, in making their case that the events of January 6, 2021 constitute an insurrection, the challengers to Trump being on the ballot, who are called here the Rosen challengers, 
rely heavily on the proceedings in and evidence from the Anderson case. Much of that evidence is in the record here, and I find the reasoning of Colorado's Supreme Court to be compelling. That said, even without the benefit of the Anderson decision, that's the Colorado Supreme Court decision, the Secretary of State Maine says, I have little trouble concluding that the events of January 6, 2021 were an insurrection within the meaning of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. And she goes on to say that that section is self-enforcing and that as the Secretary of State, she has the authority and obligation to disqualify unqualified candidates and Trump is not qualified. So that will now go through the court system. Meanwhile, in the Colorado disqualification case, you have the Republican Party there filing a petition for certiorari for the Supreme Court and requesting expedited briefing. Notably, Trump has not gone to the United States Supreme Court yet to appeal the Colorado Supreme Court decision as of this recording, which is interesting. You would think you'd want to move that along fairly quickly. Um, so the petitioners, actually, the group crew, joined the Colorado Republican Party in the petition for certiorari for the United States Supreme Court and asked the United States Supreme Court to have Donald Trump to move this along because they think like Donald Trump's going to try to delay and delay versus actually go to the United States Supreme Court. So that's the update there. You see different states handling it differently, whereas the Michigan Supreme Court wanted nothing to do with this and on state law grounds said that it's not for the Michigan Supreme Court to determine who's a qualified candidate or unqualified candidate in the primaries. That's for the political parties to do. And they kind of punted the issue, which I think is a bit cowardly. And one of the dissenters or the only dissenters said, no, no, this is an issue that we should take up and rule on the merits, not boot based on some jurisdictional grounds. So that's where you're at, but a, a big ruling right before we went live. Yeah, it's been fascinating to see the way that the courts are handling this, that secretary of the states are handling this. It seems like any time somebody is forced to actually look at the facts before them, mainly is Donald Trump an insurrectionist? Was January 6th an insurrection? They come to the same conclusion. Yes, obviously, of course. And that seems to be the defining issue, the through line, rather, uh, throughout all of these cases, throughout all of these decisions. Thus far, it seems like any of the folks who have decided not to bar Donald Trump from the ballot have not done so on the basis of, well, he's not an insurrectionist, so this doesn't apply. It kind of weaseled out of it in other ways by saying, you know what, we're we're not going to take up this case, or perhaps he's not an officer. But I think it's interesting that the through line that we are building and what we are seeing court by court, secretary of state by secretary of state, we are seeing people speak up <laughs> loud and clear. Yes, of course, Donald Trump is an insurrectionist. And then they are trying to determine whether, in fact, he violates this disqualification clause of the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. And so I think we are in an interesting territory right now. And I think ultimately, you know, when the Supreme Court of the United States goes to rule on something like the Colorado decision, I think it's going to be interesting, actually, to see what they have to say. I'm not saying I have a lot of faith in this uh, Supreme, Supreme Court, but I think looking at this honestly, looking at what the Constitution says, to me, the law is absolutely irrefutable, and it is no different than any of the other qualifications, or rather disqualifications, of running for office. It simply can't be an insurrectionist. It, it seems like a pretty low bar to folks, but 
Donald Trump has, of course, went under this very low bar and continues uh, to make things worse for himself every day in these races to the January 6th insurrection as he talks positively about the events of January 6th as the Republican Party turns the insurrectionists of that day into heroes. You see them taking photographs with the QAnon shaman inviting him to events as special guests. I mean, this is what the Republican Party has become. This is why yeah, yeah, no, this is why we don't refer to this modern day Republican Party as conservatives. When you have Marjorie Taylor Greene at Charlie Kirk's event, I feel like this is fascist Mad Libs hanging out with the QAnon shaman. I mean, it, it's utterly despicable. And you have, you know, legacy media going out there just reporting on this as if it's normal stuff. This is we're, we're not living in a normal time period. And it's a really frightening thing. Like democracy is truly at stake. And you have one side, the Democrats, the Democratic Party, that at least has adults in the room that want to push policies that help people uh, help their lives, ha- uh, genuinely help children with, you know, free lunches at, at public schools that we've seen here in the great Commonwealth of Pennsylvania and, and across the U.S. And then you see the Republican Party. And it's super scary that they just want to continue to take away rights, take away the rights of the LGBTQ community, take away the rights of women, take away the rights of, of anybody who doesn't fall into this weird MAGA fascist bubble. Look, it's shameful that the 14th Amendment, Section 3, even has to be used. It should not be a political issue for us to look at what happened on January 6th and say it's an insurrection and that Donald Trump should be disqualified and thrown out of any major credible political party, period. The fact that we're forced to even look at the 14th Amendment, Section 3, is because the Republican Party has rallied around the January 6th insurrection as part of their official platform of embracing fascism. So therefore, they say, if you oppose the insurrection, you oppose us politically, and therefore you are politicizing things. And it's not that anyone's politicizing anything. If anything, it's the Republicans who are politicizing it by making it part of the political platform. We should all look at that conduct and say Donald Trump is disqualified. But because the Republicans are now full MAGA, they're a cult, they won't push Donald Trump out ever. And in fact, they get more and more extreme with even their other candidates and the entire party in the House of Representatives and MAGA Mike. They all support this day, so they're all in on it. So therefore, they say the use of the 14th Amendment, Section 3, is politicizing the Constitution, and and it's not. And I just think what the Secretary of State did here was courageous. We'll wait for the Donald Trump post. He's going to post photos of her. He's going to threaten her life. Now all of her family members are going to get death threats. That's what's going to happen. I don't even know if it's happened yet, but over the next few hours, that will happen. Trump will post photos of her. He's going to post photos of, of, of her children, He'll post photos of her house. He'll post other conspiracy theories about her. And now she will face death threats. And that will be endorsed by the modern day Republican Party. It, it, it is shameful. But that's why when we talk to Adam Kinzinger and we speak to people who are actually conservative, as we'll talk a bit about later on the show, Kinzinger says we all need to be a part of this pro-democracy alliance right now. Ben, we may disagree, he says, on certain policies and issues. 
that's fine. We all need to come together under the pro-democracy banner when it comes to this 2024 election and then make sure that fascism and MAGA does not prevail because then we will never have elections ever again. Let's talk a little bit about some other updates uh, in the court proceedings. You've got the Second Circuit Court of Appeals denying Donald Trump's uh, request for a stay of the E. Jean Carroll uh, proceeding. Donald Trump is arguing that because he's contemplating bringing a petition for certiorari before the United States Supreme Court on the issue of absolute presidential immunity, because this E. Jean Carroll case relates to statements Trump made while he was in office in 2019. Donald Trump is arguing that it should be stayed while he contemplates whether or not he's going to be bringing the case to the United States Supreme Court, which is interesting because Donald Trump argued in the context of the criminal case in Washington, D.C., that the Supreme Court should not hear the petition for certiorari yet. So now it'll be interesting if Donald Trump tries to seek a petition for certiorari in the E. Jean Carroll case on an emergency basis when he just said that there was no emergency basis when special counsel Jack Smith tried to file that direct uh, appeal with the United States Supreme Court. So Trump's kind of in a bind there on this issue of absolute presidential immunity where he's making conflicting arguments in different court cases. In fact, before the Second Circuit, Donald Trump cited special counsel Jack Smith as authority for why the Second Circuit should stay the district court proceeding, because Donald Trump's like, if Jack Smith thought it was so important to go to the Supreme Court on the issue of absolute presidential immunity, Second Circuit, you should stay the district court's <laughs> trial so I could think about it and I could consider it just the way Jack Smith wants. It. <laughs> so, That's so in that it. instance, he he's not deranged Jack Smith, Ben. In that instance, he's uh, scholarly Jack Smith with the correct order. I mean, just think about that. <laughs> And at the same time, Donald Trump is going to the Supreme Court saying that Jack Smith is overplaying his hand and it should go through all of these levels first to the district court of it, to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals before the Supreme Court. Trump's arguing to the Second Circuit Court of Appeals that Jack Smith makes some decent arguments about the importance on absolute presidential immunity. That's just but ultimately the main theme here is what? Delay, delay, delay. That's all Donald Trump wants to do is delay all of these proceedings. And that's why, by the way, when it comes to the Colorado Supreme Court's disqualification decision and Donald Trump filing a petition for certiorari there to the Supreme Court, Donald Trump hasn't filed anything yet. Why? He wants to wait until the last minute because every day for him is to try to just delay all of these cases in his own mind. You push all of this back, you delay the inevitable, and that benefits him. In the past, it has benefited him, but in the past, he hasn't gone against special counsel Jack Smith or New York Attorney General Letitia James or Fulton County District Attorney Fawny Willis. It's, it's a different group of people, and that's also why Donald Trump is just losing his mind and lashing out the way he is. And there's just been even a more rapid deterioration that we've been seeing, totally. uh, you know, at, at all hours of the day in, in a different way than be, it was bad before. Like, how could it get worse? Well, it, 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 it is getting worse. And also an interesting filing that Trump made before Judge Eileen Cannon. He continues to ask Cannon to basically do something that would finally allow Jack Smith to uh, appeal 
one of her rulings. And there's this thing called SEPA Section 4, which is a hearing that takes place um, in classified information cases that always take place just before the judge and the Department of Justice. The criminal defendant and the criminal defendant's lawyer under SEPA Section 4 can never be at these hearings because the judge has to rule if this national defense information is so top secret and sensitive and is not helpful to the criminal defendant such that it could be withheld and substituted in some form or fashion. So it's not even like a difficult issue here that uh, a criminal defendant nor a criminal defendant's lawyers get to appear at these hearings that they never do ever. It says so in the statute and every court case ever on this has always ruled no defense counsel and defendants cannot be at this hearing. But Donald Trump argues, well, this is an extraordinary circumstance. I want my lawyers to be there with Judge Eileen Cannon at this ex parte in-camera hearing, which is just a clear violation of the law. And as I said on my hot take, please, Judge Cannon, do, do, that, do Donald Trump a solid there. Just you could grant his relief there, because the soon as she does that, then special counsel Jack Smith will file the appeal to the 11th Circuit. And uh, if she rules that way, it will be so egregious that could even potentially be an opportunity to remove her from the case if she engages in that behavior. But she would definitely be overruled if she goes and, and, and does what I think she's going to do. The same way back in 2022, she engaged in that extraordinary relief and accepted equitable jurisdiction, which no court did before. Donald Trump is basically asking her, hey, can you do that again in the context of SEPA, the Classified Information Procedures Act? And I'm just like, Judge Cannon, if you're watching this, please do that. Listen to Trump because the, Jack Smith just waiting for that, waiting for that. But those are those are your court updates. Yeah, you get the sense that Judge Cannon and Donald Trump kind of have the same goal, but Trump doesn't quite have the tact that Judge Cannon is trying to use trying for this. To. And so, yeah, not 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 very well. But, you know, she's held herself together just enough thus far. And then Donald Trump keeps trying to push her a little further, a little further, a little further, just ultimately to leading to his own demise. And so by all means, Donald Trump, keep pressuring her in this way. Let's see what happens. But, you know, as far as a lot of people thinking, you know, Tr Donald Trump wants to delay all these cases. And when are these cases all going to happen? Of course, there is a chance that these cases are delayed from their original dates, like the March date and whatnot. But I think Jack Smith seems pretty confident that the D.C. case is going to happen for sure in 2024. And if it is delayed, it will only be by a little bit. So I think Donald Trump could try to delay all he wants. This is not one of the civil cases that he is used to in the past where he was able to push these things farther and farther back. This is a completely new ball game. There is, of course, an urgency to it. And I think Donald Trump's attempts to delay this till after the election will ultimately fail. Look, what do I say that MAGA stands for? It's fascism plus idiocracy. It also stands for make attorneys, get attorneys. But MAGA is fascism plus idiocracy. And fortunately, the idiocracy exceeds the fascism by multiples. These are not very competent people who are part of this MAGA team, the MAGA legal team, the, the MAGA movement. And then they also, to compound it, think they're smart. It's such a dangerous kind of combination mm -hmm. that they're so unqualified, but yet they think they are the most qualified 
And because they only live in their echo chamber with people saying, how do you make it look so easy? How great are you? They don't realize that in the actual judicial system that we have, they are laughed out of court. There's Hi there, we're listening to Much Touch Live. Right now it's streamed. It's called Diaper Don Can't Handle the Utter Humiliation. It's actually four days ago. I made a, a cappuccino for myself before with it. I'm, I'm, I'm obsessed with this service and I am like the biggest coffee snob and I would not endorse just any sort of coffee product. I'm, I'm telling you that. All the links, by the way, to all of our sponsors are always, if, if you're looking for them, are always in the description below. Brother, should we talk about this Nikki Haley uh, thing that's going uh, on right how now? How could we not be? How yeah. could we not? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's been an utter disastrous 24 hours for Nikki Haley and it seems like the more that she tries to kind of correct herself the worst things get for Nikki Haley. So here's what happened. She was in New Hampshire at a town hall and she was asked probably one of the most simple of questions. Now we're going to play the clip for you. It's a little hard to hear the person asking the questions, but his question is just, what was the cause of the civil war in your opinion? What do you think the cause was? Nikki Haley refused to say slavery, and it was even so much more uncomfortable than that. Listen to her response here. Please, um, what was the cause of the United States Civil War? Well, don't come with an easy question or anything. I mean, I think the cause of the Civil War was basically how government was going to run, the freedoms and what people could and couldn't do. What do you think the cause of the Civil War was? I'm sorry? I'm not running for president. I want to see your view on the cause of the Civil I mean, I think it always comes down to the role of government. We need to have capitalism. We need to have economic freedom. We need to make sure that we do all things so that individuals have the liberties, so that they can have freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom to do or be anything they want to be without government getting in the way. What do you want me to say about slavery? Next question. What a what a well crafted question. And honestly, Brett, those are the types of questions that need to be asked to these GOP candidates. I, I know that a lot of the interviewers like to hear themselves speak, but sometimes you just got to give it like a basic question, answer, and then okay, and 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 then move because that's how they answer questions like that. Going back to the beginning, there's a softball. It was, uh, or it wasn't even a softball. It was a t-ball, and she acted like right, right at the front of the question. She was like, "Oh, you're gonna ask me a tough question, aren't you? Gonna ask me?" And then I want you to note, like, just listen carefully when you listen to that clip and when you listen to these other clips. How Nikki Haley takes the words of the sort of iconography of the United States of America and turns them on their heads. And this is what the Republican Party does about everything. In that clip, what did she speak about in her response? What did she say it was about? She said it was about the freedom. Freedom. But whose freedom was she speaking about? She was not speaking about 
freeing slaves. She was speaking about the freedom of Southerners to own slaves. That's how twisted her logic was when she was speaking there. And you'll hear her use similar phrases like that in order to justify some of the most horrific acts in our nation's history. Now, President Biden was incredibly quick to respond. He responded to the clip by just simply saying on social media, it was about slavery. Clear, concise, the moral clarity that we should expect any leader to have on this issue. And the way Nikki Haley has responded to this question is perhaps even more revealing than her original answer. She keeps digging deeper and deeper and deeper. First, as I mentioned earlier, her first response after the fact was to call the questioner a, quote, Democrat plant designed to trip her up. As Andrew Kaczynski of CNN said, that would imply that asking what caused the Civil War is a trick question. It was not (laughs) a trick question. It was a very basic question with a very simple answer. And Nikki Haley was afraid to answer the question. So Nikki Haley immediately, bright and early this morning, goes on cleanup duty. And this was her first call in to the cable networks to try to explain what she meant. The war was about slavery. We know that. That's that's the easy part of it. What I was saying was, what does it mean to us today? What it means to us today is about freedom. That's what that was all about. It was about individual freedom. It was about economic freedom. It was about individual rights. Our goal is to make sure... No, we never go back to the stain of slavery. But what's the lesson in all of that? If your energy bill is more than $100 a month, you should try this trick. It's the best way to save on heating bills in 2023. The story began 11 months ago when Donald... ...and all of that. What individual freedom are you speaking about, Nikki Haley? Once again, the economic freedom to do what? And she goes, what's the lesson in all of that? That slavery is horrible. That slavery is bad. Like it's a, it's not, it's not some Rubik's cube here. Like that's the lesson. This isn't some, this isn't some trick. Uh, Jordy, sorry to go. No, I was going to say, forget it for a second, if you can, even the contents of what she was even saying, like just the fact of how she responded to the question is disqualifying from a pure leadership perspective. To your point, Brett, she gets asked the question, what does she do first? One complete silence. And then all of a sudden there's this weird, odd deep sigh. And then she says, oh, you can't come to me with an easy one from, from, from the start, I see. And then she does this weird trope that I've noticed these MAGA Republicans continue to do when they get asked a question that they're too cowardly to answer themselves, even if it's an obvious you know, Q&A like this, where they put it back on the person asking the question, who's not running for office. Do you notice in that clip she tries to put it back to them? Yeah, she asks. She asks the questioner uh, the answer to his question. Yeah, it's like and the questioner was great. He goes, "I'm not running for the presidency of the United States." Let's look at her. Let's look at her. Let's look at her second cleanup attempt. Round two didn't work. Nikki. uh, Round one didn't work. Here's Nikki. Round two speaking in front of another group in New Hampshire. Yesterday, I was at. Last night, I was asked about the Civil War. And what I think of the Civil War, what was the cause of the Civil War? Of course the Civil War was about slavery. We know that. That's unquestioned, always the case. We know the Civil War was about slavery. But it was also more than that. It was about the freedoms of every individual. It was about the role of government. For 80 years, America had 
the decision and the moral question of whether slavery was a good thing and whether government, economically, culturally, any other reasons, had a role to play in that. By the grace of God, we did the right thing and slavery is no more. But the lessons of what that bigger issue with the Civil War is that let's not forget what came out of that, which is government's role, individual liberties, freedom for every single person, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom to do and be anything you want to be without anyone or government getting in your way. That should be the goal of what we always try and take away from that, right? Because we never want to return back to that place. But we always want to remember the lesson of what it means to be a free individual and that everyone deserves to be a free individual. So we stand by that. I say that as a Southerner. I say that as a Southern governor who removed the Confederate flag off the State House grounds. And I say that as a, a proud American of how far we have come. I'm going to be honest. I don't even know what her answer means. It sounds like she's sort of trying to play both sides of this issue and still say that while slavery was an issue, there was a bigger issue. Individual freedom, the government telling you what you can and can't do. Yeah, they were trying to tell them that they can't own slaves. Like, I don't understand the both sides of this issue that Nikki is trying to say in her sort of word salad statements that she keeps making. Um, but the fact is, Nikki Haley, like she even said there, she has done positive things on this issue. She did take down the Confederate flag from the statehouse. She should be touting things like that. But she is afraid of the MAGA base. And a lot of people are acting shocked about this recent statement from Nikki Haley. And by the way, I bet Nikki Haley was quite confused by the reaction that she received from her statements. Why do I say that? Because Nikki Haley has been using that same exact answer for at least a decade, but she was never called out on it until she hit the national stage. Our researchers have found a clip from 2010 where Nikki Haley is speaking, and yes, the, what I'm about to say is accurate, in front of a neo-Confederate group in South Carolina. Because when you are running for South Carolina governor as a Republican, you need to get the support of these neo-Confederate groups. And just like she did on the national stage when she was speaking in New Hampshire running for president, back in 2010, Nikki Haley gave the same answer and refused to say that slavery was a reason for the Civil War. Watch this from 2010. What's your belief about the reason the Civil War was fought? I mean, again, I think that as we look in government, as we watch government, you have different sides. And I think that you see passions on different sides. And I don't think anyone does anything out of hate. I think what they do is they do things out of tradition and out of beliefs of what they believe is right. Um, I think you had one side of the Civil War that was fighting for tradition, and I think you had another side of the Civil War that was fighting for change. You know, at the end of the day, what I think we need to remember is um, that, you know, everyone is supposed to have their rights, everyone's supposed to be free, everyone's supposed to have the same um, freedoms as anyone else. 
So, you know, I think it was tradition versus change is the way I see it. Tradition versus change on what? On individual rights and liberty of people. She said that the Civil War was about the South fighting for tradition, is what she put it, as she put it, versus the Union fighting for change. Tradition versus change. That's how she phrased it in 2010 when speaking in front of one of these neo-Confederate groups, these neo-Confederate voters. So this has been in Nikki Haley's kind of political DNA now for at least a decade as far as we know. Because she understands, I believe, that she needs to win over these voters to win in a place as a Republican to get on to get past a primary in a place like South Carolina. Now, on the national stage, that is not the same. Now, the sick thing is, it's possible that this could even potentially help her in the Republican primary right now, where you have voters who want to hear things like Nikki Haley said, although I bet they will be upset by her horrific backtracking, but they will be upset by the backtracking nonetheless. But, you know, it goes to the point that Chris Christie has been trying to make over the past couple of weeks to critics like myself, who have quite frankly been saying, you know what, maybe it's we're getting to that point where we have to consolidate the race a little bit, try to give Trump a run for his money in these primaries. And you have Chris Christie going out there making a good point, making a good rebuttal to me and people saying things like me saying, hey, if I'm not in the race, Then we're just left with Nikki Haley, who is a stooge for Donald Trump. And so Chris Christie put this new ad on the air in New Hampshire, just a very simple concept, direct to camera, rebutting the critics. Here it is. Some people say I should drop out of this race. Really? I'm the only one saying Donald Trump is a liar. He pits Americans against each other. His Christmas message to anyone who disagrees with him, rotten hell. He caused a riot on Capitol Hill. He'll burn America to the ground to help himself. Every Republican leader says that in private. I'm the only one saying it in public. What kind of president do we want? A liar or someone who's got the guts to tell the truth? New Hampshire, it's up to you. I'm Chris Christie, and you bet I approve this message. If you've been injured in a car accident, don't call an attorney. Use this AI app instead. That's what I did, and it's how I got this. Christie, and you bet I approve this message. And he makes a good point. I think that's a a, a good way to put it. And Nikki Haley just continues to just handle this in the worst possible ways. I just saw before we logged on, CNN's Eva McKend was reporting tonight from another Nikki Haley rally, and she said the following, quote, Nikki Haley just got a brutal question from a voter who told her on, quote, moral clarity, she was coming up short. He said she, quote, had a chance to redeem herself after last night's slavery thing, end quote, if she would categorically reject if she would ever be Trump's running mate. She did not. And that's the thing when you get into places like New Hampshire, when you get into more independent minded places where the Republicans are not all full MAGA, your pathway to actually defeat somebody like Donald Trump is not to be like Donald Trump, is not to be like MAGA. Your pathway to victory is to prove that you are somebody with principles who is willing to stand up to the Donald Trumps of the world. And that is exactly Chris Christie's point that he's making when he releases those videos and when he rebuts the critics. How about the broader point 
with those questions, those types of voters showing up at a Nikki Haley event, looking for moral clarity in condemning Donald Trump and what that even means for the general election and showing that America is not MAGA. The American people are smart, by and large, and understand the threat of MAGA, the fascism by MAGA, the idiocracy by MAGA, and they see the contrast between Donald Trump saying things like, may they rot in hell, Merry Christmas. That was his Christmas Day message Donald Trump posted about his perceived political opponents. May they rot in hell. Merry Christmas, then went on to post, Jack Smith should go to hell in another post, just went on a a posting rampage. And you compare that to the alternative, President Joe Biden, and President Joe Biden's been pushing back. I think he feels the momentum heading into 2024. And here's what Joe Biden posted right above a news article that says, Donald Trump says, may they rot in hell, Merry Christmas. Joe Biden responds, on a tweet above saying there's an expression they say in church sometimes love your enemies do good to those who hate you bless those who curse you pray for those who mistreat you that's what joe biden said an inherently decent and good human being and by the way a devout religious person though who understands the separation between church and state mm-hmm. he doesn't shove that in your face that he goes to church every week he doesn't shove his beliefs in your face in your face but he continues to live a life with moral clarity and that's what it's all about and people living up to values no matter what religion or no religion um that that you support and uh that you follow so brett there's a lot of momentum heading into 2024 i think by president biden and uh there was a great article recently by simon rosenberg um a friend of the midas touch network a contributor to midastouch.com um he put out an article an op-ed biden's 2024 chances are much stronger than people realize it's also the front page of the right-wing leading drudge report that talks about how underestimated president biden is heading into 2024 and here's what simon Rosenberg said, as we head into 2024, the conventional wisdom is that Democrats are on the back foot for next year's elections. But there are three reasons I'm optimistic that 2024 is going to be a good year for Democrats. First, President Joe Biden has kept his central promise in the 2020 election that he would lead the nation to the other side of COVID successfully. The pandemic has receded. Our economic recovery has been better than any other G7 nation. GDP grew at an annual rate of 4.9% last quarter and more than 3% for the Biden presidency. We have the best job market since the 1960s and the lowest uninsured rate in U.S. history. The Dow Jones broke 37,000 this month for the first time. Wage growth, new business formation, and prime age labor participation rates are all at historically elevated levels. Prices fell, yes, fell last month. Rents are softening and gas prices and crime rates are falling. Domestic oil and renewable production are at record levels. You know, the drill baby drill crowd, more drilling under President Biden while making sure to make important strides in the right direction to uh, climate reform and climate change reform. The annual deficit, which exploded under Trump, is trillions less today. Consumer sentiment has risen sharply in recent weeks. And measures of life, job and income satisfaction are remarkably high. There is no doubt that recent years have been hard. COVID and 
insurrection at the Capitol, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, repeated OPEC price hikes, global and domestic inflation. But it is increasingly clear that America is getting to the other side of this challenging period and are in a far better place than when President Biden took office. Second, the strength of the president's record is only matched by the strength of his party. I don't think it is widely understood how strong the Democratic Party is right now. The party has won more votes in seven of the past eight presidential elections, something no party has ever done in modern American history. Over the last four presidential elections, Democrats have averaged 51% of the popular vote, their best showing over four national elections since the 1930s. And then he goes on to tout the Democrats' wins in recent elections and how Trump and Republicans have only pushed voters away with their attack on women's rights and other policies. And of course, the New York Times headline and others will be why this is bad for the Democratic Party. I don't want to get complacent here at all, but I do want to acknowledge that the data is what Simon Rosenberg says it is. And if the data was the opposite direction, I would be saying that this is bad data. Mm -hmm. Follow the data here, not contrived media-driven narratives and feelings that kind of have a kind of a, a, a cycle of doom that they create. And, and here's the difference maker right now, though, as we head into 2024. It is you. It's you watching this. It's this community that you created. What we are showing here at the Midas Touch Network and this community is that this doom and gloom both sides kind of horse race coverage that the media believes will get them ratings actually doesn't. People are leaving them because you and others look at that and go, this is horrible. You, you, you hate watch it for a few minutes and go, I hate this. And then you turn it off usually and put on a Midas Touch video because you know we'll be data-driven. And as I've said at the outset of the show, I welcome pro-democracy competition. And if the media doesn't want to compete with pro-democracy messaging, then I look forward to putting them out of business. But I think they are recognizing this as well. And I think that's important to point out. But look what right-wing media is covering, Brett. I think that's important to, to look at as well. If you compare what I just read to you, what is it that right-wing media has to do to kind of scare its base? Take a look at what Fox was saying today, complaining about, you guessed it, gas stoves. Play it. I mean, I've made fun a little bit of the vice president saying that, you know, now she's uh, went from being the border czar to being in charge of posting gas stove selfies. But on a serious note, folks like myself who own a gas stove are concerned that the administration really does intend to do things like try to get rid of them. Well, and you should be. You know, I own a gas stove, too. I don't care if you're on natural gas or, like me, on propane gas or whether you're on pull-my-finger gas. You know, the administration and the federal government should have no impact or input on what you have for a stove. Okay, so Fox running with a fake story that they created that President Biden and Democrats are trying to take away gas stoves. President Biden and Democrats are not trying to take away gas stoves, period. No, but period. It's it's false. It's made up. There's nothing true about that at all. Some consumer agency said, you know what? Gas stoves aren't the safest thing out there because that's data driven and that's a fact. 
No one said we're taking away your gas stoves. But Fox is out there attacking Vice President Harris and her husband for taking a photo over the holidays by a gas stove. That is what they are talking about for an entire segment on Fox. And that is where we all have to look at that and go, who does that? (laughs) Who does that? And it is okay to say that's just loser behavior. Like, that's weird. Like, I'm okay saying that. Like, yes, it's dangerous, but it's also like, that's just some weirdo social. And then I want to say, I want to say this too, because if, if you or somehow stumbled upon this, you know, I, I, I don't know how YouTube recommendation algorithm is something you're a, a right wing, you're, you're, a, you're a Trump person, right? You're a Fox viewer. Um, don't you ever get upset that you are being lied to over and over and over and over again? At what point do you stop watching and go, you know what? They think I'm an idiot. Yeah. They think I am a fool. If I watch that segment with Sebastian Gorka and Alina Habba telling me, oh, look, how, how are you so great, Alina Habba? Oh, Jack Smith is running scared. And then I turn on to Fox and I see they're coming for your gas stoves. At a certain point, I'd be like, why are you lying to me? Like, why are you lying to me? Can't you just give me the facts? Like, I could handle it. And the fact is there are a lot of people who watch the Midas Touch Network on YouTube, who listen to the Midas Touch podcast on audio, who visit MidasTouch.com to read articles, who are actually real conservatives. And we lift up a lot of real conservative voices, not this MAGA crap, but we are lifelong. We've been lifelong Democrats for the most part because we have felt that that is the party that represents democracy. But that does not mean that we don't that we are not able to highlight these pro-democracy voices from all ends. For example, here's a comment that I saw online from a conservative voter that was going viral just yesterday. I'll read it for you. Used to be GOP. This person says, I'm a conservative, but one, slavery was the main cause of the Civil War. Two, January 6th was an insurrection led by Donald Trump. Three. Trump gave a wink nod approval for his VP to be hung for not breaking the law for him. Four, grown, functioning adult men do not speak or behave the way Donald Trump does. How freaking hard is that, people, said this social media user. And that's the thing. Those ideals and the things that we speak about on this show are not left and right issues. They are just American issues. They are pro-democracy issues, but they are issues that the networks that lie to you, like Fox and Newsmax and OAN, want to turn into left and right issues. They want to turn basic decency into left and right issues. They want to turn basic matters of the rule of law into these left or right issues when that is simply not the case. You see hope out there, though, when you actually see the voters interviewed, right? When you see the people behind a lot of these numbers. And for example, here was a Pennsylvania voter, independent voter, Erie, Pennsylvania, who gave her opinion on if she would ever vote for Donald Trump. Independent voter, Erie, Pennsylvania. Listen to what she had to say. I just cannot vote for Trump, and I think he's probably... Um, all indications are he's going to be the Republican nominee. And I just um, think that he will take this country in a very bad direction. 
She said that he will take this country in a very bad direction. She's an independent voter from Erie, PA. If you don't know Erie, PA, that's northern PA. So in the last few election cycles, it's lean Democratic, but it is and has been primarily reddish for, you know, it's, 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 it's period of time, but it's getting more purple. And so when you see someone like that woman out there who's saying, I cannot vote for Donald Trump because he, he's he, what he would do to this country. That's the sentiment then that I like that you, you had said before that America is not MAGA. America is actually that independent woman right there who sees the danger in front of us. If Donald Trump were to be reelected and isn't scared to go on whichever news network and speak out about that, especially being from Erie PA. That is awesome right there. Well, let's go back to what Fox is talking about. (laughs) Fox, this other segment was apparently speaking about the search results by the country of what states in the country were searching LGBTQ terms. And how did you even say they did a whole segment on which states search MI gay more than other states. And this is a segment that Fox put on the air. Here, play play this. Closer look at those searches reveals that Utah led in the nation in searches for Am I gay? Am I a lesbian? And am I trans? The market research firm behind the numbers pointed to the state's traditionally conservative social values as a potentially significant factor. These findings published last week by the uh, Cultural Currents Institute. And Tammy, you've had an interesting take on this. Yeah. Well, that's classic spin, right? I mean, they're looking at Utah or the issue of that. It's about social conservative values. The fact is, is that you've got people who are hearing these terms and they may be curious. You don't know why someone is typing that in. Maybe their kids said it to them and they want to learn more about that. Hey, it's quite quite the spin. It's just so you've got an interesting take on this. Let's all sit around this phony couch and start to just spew ridiculous statements all morning. Let's try to distract Americans and let's scare American parents in red states that somehow it's some Democratic agenda is the reason why your kids are searching. Am I gay? And let's let's talk about this this morning. One of the things I talk about, too, is, you know, these Republican groups are just uh, uh, they wake up they think about genitals they mm-hmm. think of they they think about sex every day that's all they want to talk about whenever there's a scandal the thing that they care most about is like the sex aspect of it when it comes to hunter they always want to show you all of the bro they got hunter's nudes saved in their favorites like ready oh. to go any at the hearings, they'll be like to the, when they called the Twitter executives, like, why, why did you take that down? And the Twitter executive be like, because it's a it's a naked photo that you are trying to post. We don't want naked photos, non consensual nudes of anybody on our platform. And that is what the MAGA Republicans talk about each and every day. And, and we just got to call them out on it, which is mm-hmm. like, just, just get a. This is not the role of government. Just get away from us and then you start learning like oh the moms of liberty co-founder in florida who sits on the sarasota school board is involved in all of these threesome trysts 
and one of the women in the threesomes is accusing her husband of sexual abuse. We now heard about an arrest in Pennsylvania from one of these other, quote, parental rights, right-wing groups of the mom who was arrested for giving the kids underage alcohol and throwing these, like, uh, depraved, like, parties at, like, her, at her home. It's all these people who are so utterly hypocritical who want to get in the right wing who He's want to get into our bedrooms and into yep. your doctor's offices because they have the you what books your kids can read or can't read they're absolutely deranged human beings i want to go back really quickly before we move on and i want to talk about why they smell specifically each other. also attacked yeah to smell each other. why they attacked the vp and her husband right it's also what we talk about like like the magaverse and especially maga commentators they can't understand like familiar like basic familial values of like loving you know thy neighbor loving a husband loving a wife it, it it can't get through to them so what do they do when you see the picture of the vp and her husband they have to find something some some quote unquote flaw in their perception of, of what that photo is and then attack it for a, a non-issue to just, I don't know, stoke hatred and, and just to rally up their base. Because quite frankly, after reviewing both of those segments from Fox News, they don't have anything to run on. The Republican Party does not have anything to run on other than taking your rights away. So they have to manufacture these issues day in and day out. And quite frankly, again, if you're watching Fox News on a daily basis, I'm so, you have to be exhausted by the lies that they spew at you. And then, Jordy, you've got Marjorie Taylor Greene, who, like, rubs the cardboard genitals of, like, a Donald Trump cardboard cutout. Yeah, like, yeah. how depraved can you be? You've got Lauren Boebert, who shows up to a play at a public theater in Denver and has to engage in public sex acts while blowing vape smoke on people's faces. Like, like what are, like, when I say these things, it's like, what are we even talking about? You know, this is a very conservative thing. I show up to the Beetlejuice show. I say Beetlejuice three times. I blow vape smoke on people's faces. I rub the genitals of the, of the, the, the guy. It's like, what are you doing? Like this, this is not normal. And it is important that we take the step back and say this behavior is not a both sides issue at the leadership level, which is important. The leadership level, the members of Congress, the right. members of the school board, the leader of the Republican Party, Donald Trump, their speaker of the House and MAGA Mike, the behavior at their leadership level is either extremist, depraved, kind of strange. And the contempt they show for their own people, like when you got to see what were the Fox people talking about their audience, it's what they would accuse Democrats to talk about their own viewers. And we don't like we don't spend the time going, oh, these Fox viewers. The way like Tucker and Hannity and Ingraham talked about their viewers were like their viewers were scum. Like when you read these text messages and that's how they treat their viewers. And then you have Bobert leaving the third congressional district in Colorado, which is a plus nine Republican. She's running against Adam Frisch to instead run in the primary now in Colorado's fourth that Ken Buck is leaving. She's going to have a tough primary and I'm not sure she's going to win. But if you're a Colorado voter and you say to yourself, wow, Lauren Bobert never gave a crap about the people of Colorado.